Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be most high and will be called the Son of the Most High. Sorry, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, It's good to be with you today. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Uh, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to gather together um, as your family around your word, and we pray that you would speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Imagine finding yourself all of a sudden, out of nowhere, in the middle of the greatest story that you know of. You might think, for me, that would involve me waking up, dragging myself out of bed, meandering down the hallway and into the living room, and as I sat at my dining table, groggily eating my Cheerios, a knock comes at my door. I open the door, and standing right in front of me is Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um... (laughs) And uh, he tells me that I am a Jedi, like my father before me, and he hands me a lightsaber and says the galaxy needs my help to defeat the Sith. Now, you can't actually see in this photo because the light's bad. I superimposed my face onto Luke Skywalker's. It took me quite some time to do that. I'm very impressed with myself. Anyway, um, that would be something, right, if this was my story, if all of a sudden I just woke up and this was my reality, right? This was me. It, it, it It would be unimaginable. Right? Well, sometimes others have found themselves in the middle of what seems to be really good stories. They're just going about their normal everyday life. Uh, this is a photo here of a fortune inside of a one man's fortune cookie. It says, uh, you will be president of a small country. Uh, now imagine going out for Chinese and discovering that your story saw you elevated all of a sudden out of nowhere to this crazy position of power. Right? That's pretty incredible. All of a sudden, you're just a, a normal, everyday citizen, and now you're a president. Congratulations. What a story you found yourself in. Uh, here's a photo of an email that uh, a guy named James uh, Beach uh, received. Uh, this guy's become famous for responding to fake email scams. And this is the email that he received. Dear friend, my name is John Kelly. I am 59 years old, man. Uh, I am in a hospital in Dubai. Recently, my doctor told me that I would not last for the next six months due to my cancer problem, cancer of the lever. 
Um, I, am give, I am giving my money away because of my health condition and the fact that my second wife is a terrifying woman to deal with. Marrying her was the only mistake I made in my life. She's currently managing my company here, but I know what she's capable of. She has sold her soul to the devil, and I do not want her to come near my money. That was the email this guy received out of nowhere. So one day, you imagine you're just a totally normal dude, and the next day, you find yourself in the middle of this crazy story that involves you, uh, this total stranger, inheriting millions of dollars from someone that you don't know because he doesn't want to give it to his crazy, conniving wife. Right? Imagine that being your story that you found yourself in. Some random day, over 2,000 years ago, in a tiny backwater town on the outskirts of God's country, lived a teenager named Mary. Luke doesn't tell us what Mary had to be doing that day. He simply mentions that she was living in a small country town called Nazareth in Galilee, a nowhere place full of nowhere people. Uh, and the very fact that Mary is found in this place meant that she was she wasn't a somebody. She was a, she was no one, and most likely she was 13 to 16 years old. And we discover that she's engaged, um, as was custom um, of her, at her age, to a man or a boy named Joseph, uh, and that is her, her reality. Uh, and it was to this no one in this nowhere place that Gabriel, this mighty messenger angel of the Lord, appears. And Gabriel interrupts the story that Mary finds herself in, and he tells her that she's actually part of a bigger story. In fact, she's part of the greatest story that she could imagine. And the question is, what would you do in that situation if you were her? And all those other examples of those, those stories people found themselves in, or I might want to imagine myself in, those stories are just too good to be true, aren't they? I mean, we know Jedi aren't real. Uh, lightsabers don't exist yet. I'm still hopeful. Maybe one day. I'll never fly off in an X-wing to save the galaxy. It's just not going to happen. And a small piece of paper hidden inside a cookie is not really a credible way to communicate world-changing information that you've now been made a president of a small country. It's just not. And just like receiving an email from a total stranger who chose you out of the seven and a half billion people to give his fortune to in his dying moments, likewise would be an example of being part of a story that is too far-fetched to be real. But notice how Mary responds to Gabriel's announcement. If you have Luke 2 in front of you, this might be helpful to look at. Gabriel appears, just like those other examples, out of nowhere. He just shows up randomly, um, wherever she is. And he greets her and tells her that she is highly favored, that the Lord is with her. Which, like in our other stories, doesn't quite match up to her her reality. She's a real nowhere woman sitting in her nowhere land, making all her nowhere plans for nobody. (laughs) Why would an angel appear to her, out of all people, and then proceed to tell her that she's highly favored and that the Lord is with her? But instead of unbelief or completely laughing off the story or wanting some proof that this is real, have a look at what how she responds in verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She's not in disbelief at all. Uh, and unlike Zechariah's story, which we looked at last week, Uh, She doesn't need some sort of sign that he was who he claimed to be. She doesn't ask for proof. Um, She's she's quite scared. Uh, The word for troubled there 
means to be thoroughly agitated, disturbed, distressed. And we are told that she wondered what sort of greeting this may be. That word for wondered is the Greek word dialogizomai. It's a fun word to say. Uh, where we get the English word dialogue from. Uh, but this form of the word means that she was evaluating something back and forth within herself. She was having a dialogue, but in her own mind, uh, going from one extreme to the other, wondering what is going on here, wondering which, which thing is right that's in front of her. And we know she's greatly disturbed and fearful because Gabriel tells us in verse 30, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. He knows she's afraid. And then he says, you indeed have found favor with God. What is it about this story that causes Mary to react this way? Why doesn't she respond like, oh, this is just another scam, right? Like that email or, uh, or, or I need some sort, I need more proof. I, I really need you to prove it to me. Like Zechariah asked for more proof. Mary is convinced this story is true before she is even told the rest of the information. Uh, she would know that there's actually many earlier chapters in this great story that she knows that happened to me just like this one. In both Genesis chapter 16 and verse 21, we find a woman named Hagar who is the maidservant to Abraham's wife, Sarah. You may remember that God promised to Abraham that he would, uh, through his wife, Sarah, produce a family, that they'd be more than the stars in the sky. But it didn't, it didn't happen, at least not in the timing that they were hoping for. And so uh, Abraham's wife, Sarah, instructed uh, him, her husband, to sleep with her maidservant, this woman named Hagar, and have children through her, to make this promise happen through her on her own time. And he did. And Hagar, uh, this lowly foreigner and slave girl, became pregnant. But after she became pregnant... Um, Sarah became jealous of the fact that she was having this baby and not her, and twice she kicked Hagar out into the desert to die alone in the wilderness. And in those stories, both of those stories, uh, an angel of the Lord appears to this girl and says to her, do not be afraid. God has got plans for you. Mary would be well aware of stories like Isaiah 6 when Isaiah comes to the temple to worship. But instead of seeing all the priests that are there um, making offerings and stuff, instead he sees God in all of his glory and these angels flying around, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, seeing all of this, uh, he falls on the floor thinking himself to be a dead man. Why? Well, because he is a broken person in the presence of a holy God. Those things don't coexist in his mind. But one of these angels flies down uh, to this broken man and he heals him and he restores him. And God invites Isaiah to go out um, to be a mouthpiece for him to the world. Uh, I want to use you in some incredible way, Isaiah. Mary knows enough to know that whenever an angel appears in the story, God is about to do something, something big. Um, and this isn't one of those stories where the pieces don't fit together, like someone emailing you out of the blue. She knew that God actually prefers to work in and through people who are forgotten, who are poor, who are weak, who are broken, who are disregarded by society. And she fits into all of those categories. She's that person. And her reaction indicates she knew she fit the mold of people God likes to use for incredible purposes. So, of course... That's why she's worried and perplexed. 
But twice, Gabriel reminds her that she is favored by God. That word favored uh, literally means to be freely extended God's grace. Uh, this is really significant to the story, and to our story, in fact, as we'll examine in a few minutes. Mary has been shown God's incredible grace. Um, she doesn't deserve it. She did nothing for it, yet he extends it to her. But why, she wonders. Uh, what crazy thing is God going to do in and through me? Well, Gabriel proceeds to tell Mary exactly where in this greatest story she fits. Have a look at verse 31. He says to her, You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, in case you were wondering, that name Jesus means the one who saves. That's what Jesus means. He goes on to say, verse 32, He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary knew the story she suddenly found herself in was the greatest story ever, and that it was true. And now Gabriel shows her how all the previous chapters that had come prior to this lead to the current one, featuring her, of all people. He then tells her she will give birth to a son, but not just any son, the son of promise. Um, all the things Gabriel mentions here would have drawn Mary back earlier to these moments in this greatest story that she's been told and listened to her whole life. She would be well aware that God longs for his people to be in a relationship with him, and God would do whatever it takes for his people um, to come back into relationship with him. She would have known that despite God giving the uh, people the law to guide them, despite giving them a human king to bring about his justice um, for his people, um, they refused to listen. They didn't want to. They disregarded the law, and even the best human king that they had, David, wasn't the greatest person. He didn't make the best choices. Um, so God promised one day that he would come himself to guide and lead and reign over his people. He would sit on the same throne that David sat on, but unlike David, he would never falter or fail. Mary would know passages like Isaiah chapter 7, where the Lord says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which we already talked about means God with us. She would have memorized the chapter in Isaiah that said this, for us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever." Even though these promises were first spoken centuries before her, and many had given up hope or disbelieved that they would ever actually happen, Mary knew this story was true. It wasn't a scam. It wasn't too good to be true. It was so good it had to be true. God had not and would not abandon his people, and he had promised that he was going to come himself and make everything new. And the time had finally arrived, and Mary only had one question to ask. But not a question of doubt, like Zechariah asks prior to this, but simply one of logistics. Uh, verse 34, how will this all work since I'm a virgin? Like, how's that all going to work? 
It's not a doubting question. Uh, it's simply, I, I don't know the science of how this is all going to work out. I know the virgin is going to give birth to a son. I'm actually cool with being that young girl. But how exactly is this going to work? And Gabriel tells her that God's power was going to overshadow her, that God himself was going to be at work through her DNA and reproductive system without the need of any human intervention. And somehow God mysteriously would form all the cells of this baby together and would bring him into this world. And just as an added bonus, Gabriel reminds Mary that no word of God will ever fail. Um, Everything that God has ever spoken has come to pass. So even if it doesn't make logical sense to us, he said, he said it, and it will happen, full stop. So Mary is told that she is one of the main characters in the greatest story ever. The story greater than wars in the stars, or inheriting a small country, or being randomly gifted millions of dollars by a stranger... Uh, the story she's known and read and studied and memorized um, and thinks about all the time that God was going to send his son to rescue and restore this world is happening. And Mary, this nobody from no, this nowhere town, has been extended God's grace and will be this baby's mom. She will be the one to hold him, to hear his little noises and coos, to, to watch him take his first steps, maybe even on the water. I don't know how that worked back then. Maybe, maybe you did that. I don't know. Um, and that's, that's pretty incredible to think about, right? But one of the thing, one thing I find most fascinating about this story is what Mary says in verse 38. Have a look. This is how she responds to all this news. I am the Lord's servant, she said. May your word to me be fulfilled. That sounds like the perfect little bow wrapped on the perfect little present, doesn't it? I mean, Mary was, has this super humble response where she says, I'm placing myself completely in God's hands, and if this is what God wants, he wants to involve me in this great story, let him do whatever he wants. I'm, I'm for it. That's a pretty gracious response, right? It's a response that I think many of us would find hard to say, even at the best of times, when we're not required to do something really difficult. But Mary is not naive, even though she's incredibly young. To get pregnant with a baby before you are married uh, in that day and age was a huge cultural no-no. To get pregnant with a baby that wasn't the baby of your soon-to-be husband was an even bigger one. Uh, Sure, this was God's wonderful plan, but it involved flipping Mary's life completely upside down. And as we see play out in her story, her fiancé, Joseph, wants to leave her. And when the time came for this baby to be born, no one wanted anything to do with her, and she was forced to give birth to Jesus in a stable. That whole um, pregnancy, and probably for the rest of her life, uh, she would have been ridiculed and shunned and looked down upon and mistreated. But even then, despite knowing all of that stuff that was up ahead, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Okay which is crazy to me, right? It's crazy to think about. You might think Catholics give too much credit to Mary, but I don't think that we Protestants give her quite enough. Really. Uh, We have to remember that she's probably 13 years old, right? Maybe we have a lot more to learn from kids than we think. And I think there are two things from this story for us to take away. First, as we just talked about, is Mary's humble response to this invitation from God. 
Uh, I doubt God has asked any of us to do something to the magnitude that Mary was asked. But every day, we are invited to, like Mary, deny ourselves to take up our cross every day and follow Jesus. And Jesus himself tells us that when we do that, when we allow our dreams and our desires and our plans for our life for ourselves to come second after God's dreams and desires and plans for us, that's when we actually find ourselves. That's when we experience greater and lasting joy beyond anything that we think um, we could bring our own joy or strength into our own lives. And that's Mary's story as well, right? That here's this girl that realizes what's up ahead, realizes what the cost of it's going to be. She's like, I'm okay. This sounds awesome. Because like Mary, she, her response, the thing that she gets is to be able to hold and kiss and cuddle God in the flesh. That's what she gets, which is pretty incredible, right? And maybe God is inviting you to do something for him. Um, an example might be to share the good news of Jesus with someone in your life. And that might come at a cost. You might be afraid. Mary was too. But she knew that she fit into a bigger story of God. The God who uses broken people to build his forever kingdom. And maybe you ought to go out on a limb and say yes to something that God has invited you to. And in doing so, see how your story fits into the greatest story ever. Last point. Uh, Mary was extended God's incredible grace by being invited into his story. The story of God coming back to rescue his people is the greatest story that's ever been told. And Mary, a young nobody from a nowhere town, is the first person invited. And from that day to this one, um, God has been inviting people into his story. The story where you can find rescue and forgiveness, new life, a family. And if Mary was invited, you and I are too. It doesn't matter how murky your past has been. It doesn't matter how racked with guilt you may be. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or young or old or Asian or African or American or Australian. It doesn't matter if you have all the answers or no answers. If you are put together or falling apart. The invitation is for everyone that God is crazy about you and wants you to come to know his son, Jesus, the rescuer of the world. We began, we began today by looking at stories that are too good to be true. Stories that even if we wanted to, we would act, never actually find ourselves in. But this story is too good not to be true. And every day, from that one to this one, you and I are invited to be part of the greatest story ever told. To be part of God's rescue plan through His Son, Jesus. Will you accept?